is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. enjoy it when there's an alternate opening narration to a Twilight Zone episode that hasn't been used before and you can usually find these in either The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Zickrey or Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grams Jr. They're just giving me a chance to speak those words that Rod Serling might have spoken and usually you can see why they changed it. It also makes me really appreciate how good he was at those opening narrations and how effortless he made it seem. We'll probably speak more about Rod Serling as the presenter of The Twilight Zone down the line when he's not just in voiceover anymore. But for now, let me read to you the alternate opening narration to the episode People Are Alike All Over. You're looking at a highway into space soon to be travelled by the flimsy little two-legged animal with the extremely small head whose name is Man and who sends his tiny groping fingers up into the unknown. Man unshackling himself and heading for Mars. Samuel A. Conrad, aged 35, Warren Markson, aged 31. They are the first to try and in a moment we'll travel with them. You're looking at a species of flimsy little two-legged animal with extremely small heads, whose name is Man. Warren Markison, age 35. Samuel A. Conrad, age 31. Hey, let's get ready, Sam. We've only got a couple of hours. They're taking a highway into space. Man unshackling himself and sending his tiny groping fingers up into the unknown. Their destination is Mars. And in just a moment, We'll land there with them. First broadcast on the 25th of March, 1960. Written by Rod Serling and directed by Mitchell Leeson. Adapted from Brothers Beyond the Void by Paul Fairman from the 1952 issue of Fantastic Adventures. And I'll remind you again that if you go back into the back catalogue, you can find a a lovely reading of that story by uh, my good friend Brandy Jacola. Now, if things had gone as originally intended, we might not be talking about this story at all as a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, It was originally owned by Dudley Pictures with the view of making it into a film which was actually an anthology film of three stories and initially Dudley Pictures were adamant that they wanted to make that movie and uh, even though Rod Serling was so interested in getting that story for the Twilight Zone but 
Rod Serling persevered and it ended up being the most costly screenplay that was purchased for this season at two and a half thousand dollars. So here we have the conversation that the whole episode hinges on I guess. It, uh, it sets things up very nicely, sets up our two main characters. Now Douglas Brody in the book Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone makes a nice point that these are the two kind of halves of Rod Serling, if you like. We have the, the one who's hopeful about humanity and what we can achieve, but the other one who has seen firsthand just how, how cruel humans can be. So we have these two halves going off into space and it's which one's ideology is really going to come out on top. So it does set things up very well. And the first time we see these two guys, they are behind a fence they almost look like caged animals themselves and as we know the twilight zone would often uh, re-employ the same sets and so on and locations and this was the fence that was used in the episode third from the sun are you afraid i don't think so are you i am very I'm frightened of what we'll find up there. Well, that's the one thing you shouldn't be frightened of. Well, the unknown, sure. The, the loneliness, the silence. That should scare anybody. But I've got a philosophy about people. I mean all people, Sam. They're the same all over. Well, I'm sure that when God made human beings, he developed them from a fixed formula. They'd be the same here on Earth as in the furthest reaches of space. People on Mars, wherever they're able to exist, they'd be the same. You'll notice in this episode regular use of Bernard Herrmann's Outer Space Suite. Uh, we heard it when Sailing's narration kicked in, and then at the beginning of the episode when we discovered that the ship has crashed. I think I've probably mentioned the Space Suite before on the podcast, but I'll just recap just in case I haven't. Um, a lot of Twilight Zone fans will already be aware of what the Outer Space Suite is because it does run through the Twilight Zone quite a bit. But just for anyone who isn't aware of it, the Outer Space Suite was 11 short pieces of music that totaled about 25 minutes. And they were stock music essentially. They were supposed to be rented as and when needed for television, radio or film and they're very versatile. You'll usually hear them at the start of every episode of the Twilight Zone podcast, and I usually try and choose one which best suits the mood of the episode, and you can generally find one that fits the bill because they are that versatile. Bernard Herrmann did do other suites too for different types of television and film. There was the Desert Suite and also the Western Suite. And again, all designed for ease of use and versatility. But it's the Outer Space Suite that the Twilight Zone fans will generally be aware of. So next we see that Marcuson and Conrad crash their ship that was destined for Mars. We can see now that like with the Outer Space Suite, the Twilight Zone did recycle sets a lot, as I've previously said. I'm sure you'll recognise those Pac-Man-like shapes on the, the wall of the ship. 
Uh, we've already mentioned the fence at the beginning of the episode, and later on we'll see that the Martian landscape was a huge painting or cyclorama originally used in Forbidden Planet. So initially things don't look too good for Marcuson, but he seems to make somewhat of a recovery, but unfortunately it's it's sadly short-lived. Open the door, Conrad. I've already told you that door. You're a liar. You can open the door. Why, Sam? Why won't you open the door? I don't want to open it. Why not? Because... Whatever happened to the inquiring scientific mind, Conrad? I thought you brought that along. Why did you come along anyway? Look, I want out. I want you to open the door now. You can lock it behind me. Just help me up. That's all I ask. Please help me up. So again, we see these two men with their very different outlooks. Marcuson with his positive outlook that... Where there are people, there is good. And Conrad, who is very fearful and hesitant of the unknown, and it's this fear that denies Marcuson his last wish, which is to know what he's dying for, because he dies shortly after. And in the end, Conrad doesn't have a choice because the Martians open the door for him. So this is where we meet our Martians, and if you remember in the story Brothers Beyond the Void, they're described as short and not particularly beautiful and not particularly ugly and there are quite a few differences between Sailing's original treatment for the story as well. Originally he called it human beings are alike all over and this is a direct quote from Unlocking the Door to a television classic by Martin Grams Jr. He says, in Sailing's earliest of adaptions the humanities professor is the only passenger though he did have a conversation with another man at the launching site shortly before liftoff. He lands safely on Mars and finds himself greeted by two very human-looking figures who are somewhat smaller than he is and have no language. Gradually, through drawings and mathematics, a level of understanding is achieved. He is escorted to a Martian lab where overnight the Martians construct a perfect replica of an Earth home complete with fireplace, dishwasher, freezer, and refrigerator. When he turns around to thank his hosts, he realises that he's been left alone. That is when he discovers he is locked inside. After pulling aside the heavy drapes to cover the big picture window in front of the living room, he discovers he is the newest addition to the Martian Zoo. And Martians are certainly no different from Earthlings. So I guess that could have been an interesting prospect, a Twilight Zone episode where only one of the main characters could speak. So how does Mars look in the Twilight Zone? Well, I think it looks pretty good. That uh, backdrop from Forbidden Planet looks nice. And the Martians themselves, who were described as, you know, short and not especially ugly or beautiful, not quite what we get here. I guess the height thing may have simply been because it's easier to find actors of average height than four and a half feet tall actors. But there may be other considerations too. 
the, uh, the title of the episode, People Are Alike All Over, we find out at the end of the episode seems to be true, but not for the reasons we would hope. So at this point, when we see them, we think, yes, you know, the humans do look like us. So I think sailing is fooling us for a moment into thinking that maybe this is the point of it. Yeah, people are alike all over. Just look at them. You're people. You're just like I am. Face, body, everything. You're just like I am. So then there's the not especially ugly or beautiful part. Well, that's obviously out of the window because we have the incredibly beautiful Susan Oliver as Tina. So I'll just divert for a moment here because it would seem that Susan Oliver was possibly the go-to girl about this time for distracting unsuspecting space travellers from what's really going on. If you've ever seen the Star Trek pilot called The Cage, then you will recognise her as Vina, who is a beautiful woman who is trying to distract the captain of the Enterprise, Christopher Pike, from the fact that he's actually imprisoned on an alien planet. But it all turns out to be illusions created by a race of aliens that are trying to trick him into staying there. I don't think the cage was actually broadcast at that time though in the in the late 50s early 60s and it didn't actually get an air date until the 80s because the studio at the time didn't like the pilot and they ordered a new one uh, which was of course where no man has gone before with a new ship's captain William Shatner as James T. Kirk. But the footage from the cage was used in a very clever way in a two-parter in 1966 called The Menagerie, where we're introduced to a severely injured Captain Pike and the footage from the cage is used in flashbacks. So, of course, Susan Oliver is also included in those episodes from the reused footage. As far as I can see, Susan Oliver's television career seemed to be very much made up of single roles in TV shows which she would do and then move on to other TV shows. There were the odd exceptions like Peyton Place which was a 1960s soap opera where she did a regular role or shows where she might have a handful of appearances. But she did tend to just do these one-time parts and unfortunately her final credited role was in the far less accomplished anthology show Freddy's Nightmares, a spin-off from Nightmare on Elm Street. But in life, away from acting, she was very accomplished personally. She had a pilot's license, and she was the fourth woman to fly a single-engined aircraft solo across the Atlantic Ocean, and the second to do from New York City. She did attempt to fly to Moscow, but it ended in Denmark after the government of the Soviet Union denied her permission to enter its airspace. In 1968, she acquired a commercial pilot certificate so she could uh, pilot commercial vehicles if she wanted to. And in 1970, she piloted a Piper Comanche to victory in a transcontinental race, the Powder Puff Derby, and she was named Pilot of the Year. But uh, sadly, she 
she died too young of, uh, of cancer at the age of 58 in 1990. So back to the episode. There are a few things that seem a little cliche now. You know, the beautiful alien who is the only one who seems to have any conscience. That's possibly a little cliche. But it is good to look back at Susan Oliver's performance and, you know, look at those little clues that she was given in her performance because she knew how it was going to end up. And that exchange with Conrad where she tells him that nobody will hurt him, that has new meaning by the end of the episode. You do have a name, don't you? I'm called Tina. Well, uh, Tina. Will you tell the others how very appreciative I am? I, I was so frightened, so miserably Don't frightened. Don't be frightened, Mr. Conrad. No one will hurt you. No one will hurt you. You must believe that. So what's she saying to Conrad? Well, no one's going to hurt you, but they're going to do something else. So they take him to this uh, this house that looks very much like an earth house, and... He's delighted and they tell him that he needs to stay there for a little while just while they arrange things and so on. And as he shows them out, you can see two of the aliens giving each other a little celebratory handshake, almost like a victorious high five. So all seems to be well until he realises the doors are locked and he tears down the curtains and realises there are no windows and a screen opens up to show the Martians all assembled to look at him. Why are you doing this? Why? Why have you locked me in here? Why are you looking at me like that? You were right. People are alike. People are alike everywhere. So here's the real reason that people are alike all over. You know, man has a propensity to keep creatures that they think are inferior in zoos for their own amusement, so that comes into play. But... There is also that question, I suppose, that if the shoe was on the other foot, if one of those Martians came to Earth, would we really treat them any differently? So people are alike all over, quite, quite a simple tale. It seems to be over quite quickly, and it is probably one of the episodes that I have a real nostalgic connection to. I really remember this on those late night showings in the UK, but does it hold up now? I think it does. You know, obviously now the twist is part of our collective consciousness, but like so many Twilight Zone episodes, it's the journey that comes to the fore. In this case, it's the journey of Conrad that is the real draw. His shift in perspective and the way that his understanding of Marcuson's words, people are alike all over, shift as well. I wouldn't say the direction is particularly great, but it does the job. 
the Martians wearing togas. That's a bit cliche now and a bit silly, but you know, it's one of those things that you kind of forgive uh, 50s and 60s sci-fi for because, you know, it is what it is. But above all, what I think makes this episode for me is the combination of Rod Sailing's words and Roddy McDowell's performance. I think that's what it's all about. You know, who doesn't love Roddy McDowell? It's, it's quite surprising that he did only actually appear in one episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, but he does have a, a trio of performances that link him to Sailing quite strongly. The first is obviously the episode we're discussing now. And the second is the story from the first episode of the Night Gallery called The Cemetery, which is an enjoyable episode that has a few plot holes that are hard to ignore, but Roddy McDowell is great in that too. And you can go back to the beginning of the Night Gallery podcast with Chris if you want to learn more about that one. And then finally, there is, of course, his performance as Cornelius in my preferred Twilight Zone movie, Planet of the Apes. As a younger man, I worked as a cook in a restaurant in New York. This one day, I I can't remember why, but I ran out of the restaurant. I needed to be somewhere or do something. And I ran out of the restaurant and almost knocked this, this gentleman over. So I just turned and briefly said sorry and carried on my way. And a few minutes later, when I came back to the restaurant, uh, the gentleman had gone, he was nowhere to be seen, but I spoke to one of the staff and she said, do you realise who you just nearly knocked over when you ran out of the restaurant? And I said, no. And she said it was Roddy McDowell. And I was absolutely gutted because, you know, I was a huge Plans of the Apes fan, I loved The Twilight Zone, and there's so much great work in Roddy McDowell's history that I would have loved to have shook him by the hand, but unfortunately... I just nearly knocked him over instead, so not a great celebrity encounter, but there you go. His co-star, Susan Oliver, said of him, That was lots of fun. Roddy used to take me to lunch at MGM. He had practically grown up there. He used to do all of these hilarious impressions of big movie moguls. Rod Sailing was very special. He was a nice gentleman, very modest and self-effacing. Mitchell Leeson had been a costumer as well as a film director. He picked my costume, a Greek gown, for me to wear as a Martian. He said, you can only be so futuristic, and then it comes back to what the classic is. Well, I'm not too sure about that one, Mitchell, but uh, back to Roddy McDowell. You know, I think in People Are Alike All Over, he really raises the material and he sells every line so well that his journey is such a joy to watch, but it's also so tragic. It's not just his despair at his predicament, but the crushing realisation that people are alike all over and they just disappoint you every time. Species of animal brought back alive. Interesting similarity in physical characteristics to human beings. In head, trunk, arms, legs, hands, feet. Very tiny, undeveloped brain. Comes from primitive planet named Earth. Calls himself Samuel Conrad. And he will remain here in his cage with the running water and the electricity and the central heat as long as he lives. Samuel Conrad has found the Twilight Zone. 
So there we go, that's another Twilight Zone podcast in the bag. Uh, Just a few bits of housekeeping before we go. As we know, my schedule has been very spotty of late. I haven't been getting these podcasts out with any regularity at all. So I am considering a little format change. I don't think it's going to be a great deal of difference, but it might just save me... Save the podcast being so work-intensive, because it does take a long time to put together. So, I'm just going to give it a try. I don't think it'll impact that much on the listening experience, but hopefully it should just make it a bit easier for me to get these out, because, uh, well, we've still got a long way to go, and if I'm only doing a podcast every few months, then we're going to be doing this for years. Uh, Speaking of which, congratulations to Chris on the night gallery podcast because he's actually just finished uh season two so he's only got one season left to go the night gallery so he's been uh, belting them out so need to try and get back on track with that and uh i think once we get season one out the way that'll be a good milestone and that'll probably spare me on to just keep going with these things so before we go as always uh itunes reviews even in my uh absence there's been some new itunes reviews so from the US, thank you to Portia Sanchez and Iberianex. I don't know whether I'm saying that right, but thank you. Uh, in Canada, we have Jose Chung from Van City, so thank you, Jose. And in the UK, we have new reviews from Glados Mark II and Andy Rock 65. So thank you to them. You know, when I go on and see new iTunes reviews, that always spares me on to try and get things moving as well. And, you know, there's also the gentle coaxing from people on Twitter or who email me. Uh, People like my good friend, people like Sydney Moon. She always gives me a gentle elbow in the ribs to to get things going. And so many people who've written to me as well. Uh, I'll try and make a list for next time and say, you know, thanks to everyone. But people like Heather in the US and so on. Plenty of people. Hardly a week goes by when I don't get a an email off someone thanking me for the podcast, so that's great. Now, next time we're going to be talking about the story execution. So if you have any thoughts on that, then you can email me at tom at thetwilightzonenetwork.com. But also I'm going to announce this now because if I announce it, then I will definitely do it. Um, we're going to do a Christmas special of the Twilight Zone podcast that I will release just before Christmas and what it's going to be is we're going to be looking at Twilight Zone the movie but I'm not going to I'm not going to do it just myself I'm possibly going to have two other people on the podcast uh, who will be a bit more of a discussion podcast if you like about the movie so one of them hopefully will be Chris from the Night Gallery podcast I don't think I've formally asked him yet but here you go Uh, Here's your invitation, Chris. And also Luke, who was the creator of uh, The Collector's Room, which was an internet TV show inspired by The Twilight Zone that he produced himself. That was a great piece of work. So the three of us are going to talk about Twilight Zone, the movie, and also about our hopes or thoughts on the long-in-development new Twilight Zone movie. So what do we think about that one? So what I would really like is I've done podcasts before, horror podcasts, where you really get the listeners involved. And what I would like of people is some feedback, some input. You can send us emails about what you think 
of Twilight Zone the movie, what's your favourite segment, what do you like about it, what do you not like about it, Uh, and also maybe your thoughts and your hopes for the Twilight Zone movie. So you can email me at tom at thetwilightzonenetwork.com with any submissions that you have about that, but you know what I'd really like as well is, I know there are other podcasters out there who listen to this, or people who can record audio, send us a little mp3 clip send us an mp3 of what you think about twilight zone the movie and your hopes for a new twilight zone movie and uh, and we'll include it in the show and hopefully we will we'll have a nice long twilight zone podcast just before christmas with all these different opinions and input from different people you know i think it could be great so send your feedback to tom at the twilightzonenetwork.com and we'll put something together Okay, well that's all from me. I'll see you next time for Execution. Bye-bye.